Alrighty, welcome back to Brojo Online Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about authentic sales. And that is getting in the process of selling a product or a service without having to do anything sleazy, without having to do anything dishonest or disingenuous or manipulative. Being able to sell powerfully, but without having to trick anyone into buying. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. So this is going to be sales without the sleaze. We're going to go through some of the principles and how they apply practically in real life. And then I'm going to give you some examples. One is going to be from my coaching business or a service-based business that you're selling. And another is going to be from selling wine, which is something one of my clients does and so it's very much a product-based kind of service. So that way we're going to get an example of how this applies both to a product and a service and in quite different fields. So if this stuff really does work, it should be able to apply across the board. Now first and foremost, I've got to get something out of the way. This doesn't apply to anyone who's selling something that they know is shit. Alright, if the service or product you're selling is not something you believe in, it's not something you value, not something you'd buy yourself, not something you think improves the lives of other people, you're just doing it to make money, sign out now, because this isn't for you. Okay, this is for people selling shit that they know that their clients really do appreciate, really do value, their life improves from it. Even if you don't personally get into it, you know the clients do. This is for you guys, okay? This isn't Wolf of Wall Street shit where you're just selling like penny stocks or whatever, okay? Or some junk that you find online and, you know, ship over from China and sell to somebody in America and it breaks in two weeks. We're not talking about that sort of stuff here, okay? It says to be the good shit, you just want to sell it right. You don't want to feel disgusting doing it. You don't want to feel weird and inauthentic doing it. You know it's good stuff, but sometimes when you go to sell it, you feel like you have to use tactics. Maybe even the company you work for forces you or tries to force you to use certain strategies and tactics and ways of speaking that you're just not comfortable with. And you wish that there was a better, more authentic, more genuine way. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Here's the mindset. This is the number one thing to sort of keep with you all the way through the process at any given time. You've got to act as if you're sold out. okay? And I don't mean trying to pretend you're something that you're not. But an understanding that it's the person who's sold out who does the best with sales. Because they don't need anything. There's no neediness in the sold out person. When they go to sell something, they're doing it as a gift to the person. Because they don't need to be doing it. They don't need this money. They don't need this client. They just believe in the product or the service so much that they're willing to go beyond the sold out, booked out nature of their life to help another person. If you can tap into that kind of energy when you're working in sales, then they're going to feel it. And that will be more important than any of the specific things I talk about today. It's the sold out person who's the easiest to talk to, the most comfortable to buy from. All those things that the marketing gurus teach as tactics, you know, like creating scarcity and all that bullshit that you use to manipulate people, They've all taken that from people who didn't need tactics and strategies. They've tried to kind of weaponize and pathologize a very natural thing that occurs when you're being genuine and you're abundant. I saw a lot of this. It's similar with uh, the pickup artist industry. They essentially tried to photocopy guys who were natural with women and just like repeat, copy and repeat the things that these guys were doing without realizing the guy's doing it spontaneously. He's doing it from a genuine giving place. He's not needy. So it's not really a tactic. You're just taking something, turning it into a tactic. And that's why it barely works for you. It's the same with sales, all those marketing strategies and stuff. That's all neediness being injected into something that occurs naturally when you're doing it right. So we want to get into the place where we don't need this person to buy. Okay, and we can't pretend to be there. We have to really get there. And what I'm going to be sort of teaching today is how to get there. Because that is the best place long term for your business. So the coaching example version of that is literally being sold out. You have all your coaching appointments booked from here into the indefinite future. You've booked everyone for at least a year 
or you've got such a great history with your clients that you know that they're just going to keep rolling over with more and more coaching. They've got a pattern of doing this. And if you're a wine salesman, this means you have a pipeline of big ticket buyers who come to you every month for a nice big wine sale and it's now become effortless. You just flick them through the wine. You don't even need to put any effort into creating new clients. You've just got this kind of inner circle of wine buyers and you just spend your time socializing with them essentially and they will buy without any prompting. That's the mindset of someone who's good with sales. They're already good with sales. That's why they're like that. But we want to get there before needing to be good with sales. Okay. The second main principle that really differs from all the internet bullshit you're going to learn out there about how to sell is it's about long-term relationships, not one-off sales. When you're looking at somebody who they would call a prospect or a lead, you've got to see them as a potential connection. That's what they are. They might not buy from you for five years, but you're still going to build a relationship with them. They might never buy from you. You're still going to build a relationship with them. They might be the best client you've ever had. You're not going to treat them any differently, at least at the start, than you would anybody else. You're just here to build relationships. So in the coaching world, what this looks like is continuous contact with people who are essentially your friends, except you're serving them and creating value in their life, and we're going to talk more about that today. And at no point are you really trying to sell them anything. You'll make them aware of new services or offers as they come up because you want them to be in on it first, right? You could find somebody else, but you want to make sure your friends get the first opportunity. If I'm a wine merchant, it means I'm on the phone all the time to my best wine buyers. We're talking about wine. I'm letting them know that there's a new tasting happening on etc. Island and you know we should get a group of people together and go check it out. We're wine enthusiasts hanging out together, discussing things together, and at random occasions, they buy from me as well. Okay, it's all about the relationship. The sales is just part of the relationship. It's no different to having a relationship with a friend and sometimes they cook you dinner, you know? You're going to have a relationship with your clients and sometimes they're going to buy from you. That's how it's going to work and that's how it needs to be seen. Relationship first, sales second not the other way around. And by the way, this is just more enjoyable. Really, if you're going to be in this business, whatever it is, for long term, if you're going to be selling something long term, that's all a business is, is selling something. Don't you want to enjoy it? Don't you want to like your clients and customers? Wouldn't it be nice if they liked you too? Wouldn't you rather this be a social experience rather than some needy getting, taking experience? It doesn't have to be that. You can actually be in a position, this is where I really am, where I have a bunch of friends who I sometimes coach and they put money in my bank account and I use that to take care of my family. That's how it works. Sales is a weird word for me even because I don't really sell anything. Right? I used to. I've changed a lot over the years since I started this business. But now I just communicate with friends and sometimes they pay me for coaching. That's the nature of my job now and I highly recommend it. It's so much better than getting on the computer or getting on the phone every day and going, fuck, I've got to make my you know sales quota or whatever. God, it's a horrible way to live. It's a horrible way to work. Why would you want that? I'm not dissing anyone here. I'm just saying like you don't have to see people as numbers. It's, it's old school thinking. It's ineffective thinking. If you see them as friends, as relationships, as people like, even if they got to a point where they could no longer buy from you, they hit some sort of limit, and you still want to go and have dinner with them, isn't that the better way to live? Well, that's what I'm going to be teaching today. Next principle, every contact should be beneficial to them. Whether it's a quick email or a text or a phone call or a full-on coaching session or a seminar but especially focus on the little things, the little touch points, getting in touch with someone, following up with them. Make sure, if nothing else, that before you go through with it or before you send the message or whatever it is, you go, how do I make sure that their life is better after this than it was before? That's it. It doesn't even have to be much better. We 0.1%. We want to get to the point that if somebody gets an email from you, they're excited to open it because it's always good. 
It's always something that at least attempts to make their life better. They always receive something from you. Right? They never they never have to go, oh God, I don't want to open this message. He's going to be trying to get something from me. You, you never want them to be thinking like that for a long-term successful authentic sales business. You want them to be thinking like, come on, message me. You want them to be excited like you're one of the few phone calls that they would actually pick up. So in order to do that, you have to develop a pattern with them. Reputation, which is every time I serve them. And this isn't a tactic like, then they'll buy stuff from me. This is actually for you. This is so you can enjoy your life, so that you are a beneficial, valuable person. All right, so that even if someone doesn't buy, you provided, right? You contributed, you were valuable. This is so even after a day of like low sales, you go home and you still feel good about yourself. It just so happens they're going to benefit as well. And it just so happens they're more likely to buy stuff when you're like this. So everybody wins without any values or integrity being compromised. Why wouldn't you choose to do it that way? You can think of it as your, your service or your product is like an arbitrary line where the level of effort you put in needs to be charged for. Right, so I might contact people by email send them videos, that kind of thing. And at some point, coaching, I really need to charge them money because it's quite intensive use of my time at this point. Okay, that's that's a line I'm going to draw. I don't mind flicking them a quick email. I don't mind sending them a voice recording. I don't mind chucking them a link to my course, which they can get for free, or a copy of my book. But once they want to really go into a topic, that's when they're going to get charged. And not even the first time. We'll go into that later. But you need to decide there's going to be an arbitrary line that's where I'll start charging money. And everything before that is freely given. That's it. But it's all on a spectrum of giving. It's not like this is marketing stuff and this is sales. It's all giving and at some point you charge money because you've got to eat. That's how you see it. There is no marketing. There's just giving. That's all. So if I'm a wine merchant, I might call people and send them recommendations for wine. I might uh, send them funny wine-related memes if they're like a friendly type person. I might let them know, hey, that you know, there's a there's a tasting event coming up down the road from you. I thought of you immediately. It's in your area. And I might also go, by the way, I got a batch of that latest Sauvignon Blanc that you love. Let me know if you want some of it. That's the bit where I'll have to charge you money because it's wine. So there's going to be a line. But at any point, I'm just thinking, how do I serve this person? I want them to think, especially a wine lover, when I get emails from Dan it's going to be stuff that I'm interested in stuff that helps me stuff that I want to read stuff that I want to stop working and procrastinate by doing this instead if you have this consistency of doing that everything is service doesn't mean everything is about making them feel good like in coaching sometimes service is making them feel bad challenging them confronting them but it's always about like how do I make their life better always always about that it also helps them want to see the next level examples. I give someone my book. You know, it's, it's six hours of reading. I give someone my course. It's three hours of video. I send them podcasts. I've got hundreds and maybe thousands of hours of podcasts. They get all of that for free. They're going to think, man, what's coaching like? If this is the free stuff, what the fuck's the paid stuff like? And they're right to think that because the coaching is infinitely better than the free stuff i see them but the free stuff is good too and you want that to be the case where like the stuff they get from you for free is so valuable they'll be thinking man the stuff he charged for must be the shit and it should be you want to make sure that it is deliver high quality services and products don't muck around in shit if you don't believe in the thing you're selling move on sell something else another principle to help you with neediness because that's what this is really about, getting the neediness out of giving to people and serving them and charging money to do so. It doesn't have to be this guy, it doesn't have to be this time. Always keep that in mind. That pressure we put on ourselves when there's a prospect in front of us. It's like, I have to sign up this guy, I have to sell this guy some shit. No, you don't. It doesn't have to be this guy. And even if it is this guy, it doesn't have to be this time. You know it's got to be somebody, sometime. Right? If you've got to eat, you've got to make some sales with some people at some point. 
But when you've got someone in front of you, you're communicating with them in some way, online, in person, on the phone, whatever. At that point in time, nothing needs to be sold. Okay, it doesn't have to be this time. So you can kind of be honest with yourself. Yeah, I do want to make some sales, obviously. I, I want to live. It's my job. So you don't have to deny that. You don't have to pretend you don't have some neediness or some wanting there. But you can take it away from the individual interaction in front of you. Never has to be the one in front of you, ever. And that's the truth. If you're in a long-term sales-type business, service or product, you don't have to make any one particular sale. If you're in a business where one sale actually matters and there's life or death for your business, you're in a bad business. That's a terrible way to do business. You want to make sure that lots of clients prop you up. Not it all hinges on one person saying yes. It's a horrible way to do business, right? So you've got to treat it like that. Look, if this guy says no, it's okay. As long as some guy says yes at some point. And then when the guy's in front of you go, okay, doesn't have to be this guy. Let it go. Let's just serve this guy. I don't know which one it's going to be. Let's say out of 100 people you serve, 20 of them become clients you don't know who the 20 are going to be so just serve them all and eventually you'll hit your 20 don't treat it like this guy's got to be one of the 20 no he doesn't in fact he's more likely not to be if you're in a if you're in a business where you're selling really high quality stuff especially if it's highly priced like my coaching you're going to get more no's than yeses or at least not right now's So for me to get all anxious about this particular guy signing up is statistically stupid he's more likely not to and that's okay. I need to get used to no's. Yeses should be a nice surprise. Like, oh shit, he's actually going to buy some. Nice. Right? The rest of the time it's like, it's going to be a no, but I'm going to serve him anyway. If you get into that kind of attitude, you're actually going to get more yeses. Already have given the example. If I'm a coach, I've got someone in front of me for their free session. We'll talk about that a bit more later. I'm like, I might never see this guy again. This is coaching practice. I'm going to coach him like he's already a super high paying client. But I might never see him again. In fact, statistically speaking, he's probably not going to become a long-term client. Shit, I might not even want to work with him. So I can just let all that go, the selling of this. Either my coaching will be so awesome and our connection so great that we both want to continue. Or it won't be. At least not right now. I don't need to do anything extra here. I just coach and the answer will reveal itself. This person's either right to work with me right now, or they're not. I don't need to try and find that answer. It's really no different for selling wine or selling any product. This guy either wants to buy high quality wine right now, or he doesn't. You're not going to try to make him want something he doesn't want. It's no good for the long-term relationship that you have with him. Just serve and he'll either buy or he won't. Now, when I say serve all people equally, I don't mean give your time and attention and energy to all people equally. I mean give them all an initial shot, but right from the beginning you want to start qualifying, which we'll talk more about as we go through, but the key principle I'm going to talk about right now is what you might call following the heat. And what we mean by this is you want to spend more time and more effort and more energy on the more responsive people, the hotter people. So while before I said something sounded a bit contradictory about giving everyone equal kind of service, what I mean by that is at the start you treat everyone as equals, but you don't continue to do so. Some of them are going to be more worth your time and effort than others. And this isn't just about sales, but that is a big part of it. Because your ideal client is someone who's a high-paying client, but they're also great to work with. They're somebody you like personally somebody you enjoy working with or selling to or interacting with, and you want both of those elements present in the ideal client. It's not an ideal client if they're not buying stuff. Right? That's just might be an ideal person, a friend, but in business, they've got to have both. So when you look, what you're looking for is somebody who's highly likely to buy and highly likely to be enjoyable to work with. You want both, and they're equally valuable, but... In terms of business, the paying is the kind of non-negotiable one. So when you're interacting with someone, and you'll learn this better as time goes on, some of them are more responsive and more worth your time. 
they get back to you quicker, they're more enthusiastic, they escalate from the free stuff to the paid stuff quicker, they're less hassle to work with, they're less likely to complain, they're less difficult. We're going to talk a bit more about qualifying later. But you've got to be really careful. The people who want to take up the most of your time are often not ideal clients. Okay, There's a lot of time-consuming type people that you need to avoid and not give as much energy to. We'll talk a bit more about that later. But the example would be, say, in the coaching world, is I put out a video and somebody comments on it saying, wow, this is the greatest video I've ever watched. They're the first person I'm contacting today. I'm not going to go contact some random person. right? I'm going to go for the person who's hot. The person who responded. If I'm emailing five people and one of them's getting back to me every 10 minutes, another one takes three days to get back to me, another one doesn't get back to me at all, they're not going to be treated equally. The guy getting back to me quickly, I'm going to get back to him quickly as well. Okay. And this would be the same in the wine business. The person who's enthusiastic and responsive and gets back to you quicker and is enjoyable to communicate with and shows a lot of interest and has a history with wine that shows that they're really interested in wine, They're the person I'm contacting first thing. They're the person I'm going to contact more often than others. I might be in touch with this person five times a day. Another person I might be in touch with once every six months. So I don't give myself equally to everyone. For those of you who don't actually have any kind of audience built up yet, or you're right at the beginning stages, cold service is better than cold calling. Now cold calling is you ring someone up or you message them and In some direct or indirect way, you say, please buy my shit. Cold service is you get in touch with someone that you've never been in touch with before, but you improve their day. You don't ask for anything. You don't try to sell anything. You give them compliments. You give them recognition. You do some research on them and congratulate them and uh, acknowledge what they're good at. You send them stuff that you know they're going to like based on what you are able to find out about them online or through a referral or whatever. When, you, when you're going to reach out to create new potential prospects, whatever you want to call them, new, new relationships, start with, how do I make it that they go, holy shit, that was such a nice thing to receive from a random person? And no strings attached, right? Not like, okay, and what's the catch? It needs to be very clear that there's no catch. I like to, in, in coaching business, I would make personal videos for people. I'd say, hey, I was just looking through your LinkedIn profile, for example. I saw this, this, and this, and I'm really impressed how you did that and how you stood up for this. That really shows integrity. I'm a big fan of people with integrity, so I wanted to let you know that I recognize you and keep up the good work. And that's it. No, and by the way, I'm a coach. Would you like to buy some shit? Can some of your money leave you know, your wallet and come into mine? There's none of that. Whenever I get messaged, 99.9% of the time, even if it's presented as a gift, I can feel that they're trying to take Right? It just puts me off. This is why LinkedIn, for example, is so terrible for reach outs. Is everybody sucks at doing it. The platform's fine. It's the way you're doing it. It's like, yeah, I can see you're using a template. Why would I respond to someone who treats me as a number by using a template? Right? So you've got to reach out to people with service, individualized, personalized, put some effort into it, do some research, make it so they go, wow, somebody actually considers me to be significant. And don't make it faked. Consider them significant and treat them as such. It would be no different in the wine business. I don't know exactly how wine people find their prospects, but I'm not going to reach out to some random dude. I'm going to go to a fucking tasting, for example, and I might listen in to people and be like, dude, you totally nailed the flavors on those wines. Like, of all the people here, you're like one of those wine-sniffing experts. Well done. I'd approach someone like that, right? If I'm a wine salesman. And there would be no like, by the way, you want to buy a bottle of my shit? It would just be that. Just be that gift freely given. And that's how I build up. The people who responded to me, they go into my mailing list, we talk further, whatever it is. I build up an audience that way. But the gift is freely given. That's how I connect with people. For those of you who have already established an audience and already have clients, got to remember the best customers are repeat customers. See, so many people try to constantly focus on someone new when they've got somebody already buying from them. That person is more likely to buy double than you are to find a new client. And your best clients are repeat. And what I mean is, you're looking for your ideal client, you're looking for someone who's going to keep buying from you, keep working with you, build a relationship with you. 
when you both retire, you'll still be friends smoking cigars on the golf course together. That's your ideal client, right? So why are you looking for someone new if you've already got a potential group of them right there, right there in your database? Your primary contact of every day, your primary reach outs, whatever you want to call them, should be to people who are already working with you. Surprise them with value. Give them more than what they paid for. Make it so that they don't think of anyone else when they think of whatever it is that you sell, right? I want to make sure that my coaching clients only have one coach in their life. Me, right? I don't mean that they shouldn't see other coaches. They probably should. But I want to make sure I outperform anybody else who's vying for their attention. That They don't get a better service from anybody else. Because I want them back. I don't want to keep working with new people. I do like working with new people, but nothing's better than working with someone on and off for years, right? They come in, they go away. Sometimes they need a quick issue solved, then they go away again. Sometimes they come in for a long-term thing to do some deep inner work, then they go away again. I love that. I want that to last for decades. It's my favorite kind of work because we grow together over time. That's brilliant for coaching. And it's effortless, you know, when you've got a first-time client, you've got to work past these financial objections they have and all their fears and insecurities about your value. When you've got a repeat client, they're just like, yeah, let's do some more. All right, done. And it would be the same in the wine business. Jeff, you came for another pallet. It just came through. Yep, lock it in. You don't have to be like, okay, so what's your car details? How do you feel about spending that much money? You don't have to do any of that with a repeat client. So you want to be looking to serve your current clients primarily. These are the people who should get the best of your energy. New people should be a distant second place to that. Now let's talk about qualifying. Qualifying is about making sure you're spending your energy in the right place. It's about having very high standards about the person you want to work with and looking for people who meet those standards, or at least close to it. It's going to be different for every industry a little bit, and different for every product and service a little bit, but there are some commonalities that I think probably go through all of them. What you're looking to do is find the current best clients you have, reverse engineer them. How are they the same as each other? What do your best clients have in common with each other that they don't have in common with lesser clients or non-clients? What kind of like, what's the pattern there? What are the themes? If you're going to try and find another one, what's the demographic? What's the psychographic profile of that person? How do you repeat that? And then, of course, the opposite, the worst clients, the people who like wasted your time, who asked for refunds, who complained, all those kinds of people. What do they have in common and distinctly how are they different from the ideal clients? How would you know the two? If you're meeting with two of them, how would you tell them apart? What kind of questions would you need to ask to find out? This should be an ongoing piece of research that you keep adding to. You want to keep getting better and better at identifying ideal clients and their opposite non-ideal clients, awful clients, or non-clients. Like I said, there are some principles that I think are common, whether you're a coach or a wine merchant or an eBay pre-seller, whatever the fuck they are, right? There's certain things that are always a bad client. There's certain things that are almost always a good client. One thing that's almost always a good client is that they invest. When I'm working with someone who wants to do coaching with me, one of my first questions is, what have you done before? I want to know if this person invests in self-development. Do they pay for courses and coaches and workshops and books? Are they used to going, I've got to put money into myself if I want my life to be better? Right? I want that kind of attitude right out of the gate. I don't want coaching to be the first thing they ever paid for, especially at the prices I've got. That's a very red, you know, that's a red flag. It happens occasionally. Most of the time, if someone's never done anything before, I'm like, well, get back to me when you have. It would be the same if I'm a wine seller. I'm looking for somebody who's already got a wine collection, right? I want to look for wine enthusiasts. I'd be going to wine-related meetups to meet people, not random people. I'd be like, well, I drink a lot of beer. Maybe wine would be all right. Even though that would be better than someone who doesn't drink at all. So I'm looking for someone who invests. That's almost always going to be a good client kind of criteria. With my coaching people, I look for people who are open in terms of psychology. They want new ideas. They want old beliefs challenged. They're not going to be conservative in their psychology. They're not going to be resistant to trying new things. So I need somebody who's ready to change. Okay, I don't care if someone wants to pay me a million dollars if they're not interested in changing. I can't work with that person. Now this is definitely a service-based thing. 
it would apply to many services. If you're a misuse, somebody actually wants to fix the problem with their back, not somebody just wants to complain about it, right? You're looking for somebody, oh, I've tried these exercises, I'm keen to change, I'm open, I'm reading these new things I've never read before. You want to look for those signs that this person is open to taking a service and putting it into use because the quality of your service is not dependent on you, it's dependent on them. Any service-based business, what do they do with it, right? You can write a great book, but if they don't read it, then the book sucks. You can be an excellent coach, but if they don't follow through with action, the coaching sucks. You want to make sure your service doesn't suck. You've got to find good clients. It's not about you. It's about them. It's one of the things I see, like, I'm not a big Tony Robbins fan, but some people get a lot out of Tony Robbins. I put that more on them than him, right? Because there are plenty of people who go to Tony Robbins and their life's worse afterwards because they were never going to put anything good you know, they were never going to put anything into use in a good way. They were bad clients. It's a problem I have with those kind of big high-end guru types that will just pack a seminar with thousands of people with no qualification whatsoever. They don't care if the client is a good client or not. They just care if the person's going to pay. I have higher standards in there. I want to make sure that my reviews are always good. And the way to make sure of that is to make sure I'm working with someone who's going to get a lot out of it. The same would apply to being a wine salesman. I don't want someone who's going to be like, ugh, wine's disgusting. I want, I want someone who loves wine. I want someone who's going to drink it, who's going to have parties and share it around. I want somebody who's open to trying new wines. You know, they've got a collection. They want to keep adding something delicious and, and, and unfamiliar to that collection. They have a history of doing that. So I think somebody who's open to change and open to new things in your field is a qualifier for a good client. And the third criteria that I have, I have a few criteria, but these are the top three is we have a good connection. Me and my client get along. Right? I don't mean that we agree on everything, but we would have a beer together. Right? We're not just about the coaching. We would, I would actually like to have this person as a friend. I'd like to spend time with them. It would not be uncomfortable for me to socialize with them. This isn't necessary, really, for a, for a good client, but it is for a great client. And if you want nothing but ideal, great clients... In the end, you know, if you want to build up to that where you've got nothing but the best, then this is a criteria I think you should add. If you don't like calling the person to sell the wine, if you're like, oh, I've got to talk to this guy, he buys a lot, but he's such a dick, well, then he's not ideal. He's better than the person who doesn't buy at all, but he's not the best available. You still want to be looking elsewhere, right? Don't spend too much time on this person looking for the person that you're not afraid to call, that you can't wait to talk to. Because they exist too, and you don't want to waste time with the people who aren't like that. And of course, bad clients tend to have things in common. They waste a lot of time without spending a lot of money. That's a classic one, is they look really responsive. They get back to your emails really quickly. They want to talk on the phone for hours. They watch all of your videos on YouTube. But after a few months, you're like, man, this motherfucker ain't bought shit. He hasn't even bought a course. He wouldn't even help the promotion of my book. I was putting my book out there for $5 just to get it out there, and he wouldn't even buy it for $5. I did a little uh, promo thing while we did, Mike and I, for Brojo, where we just did a test where we made Brojo membership $1, $1 a month. And it was amazing how many people quit when it went from $0 to $1. How many people wouldn't even put a dollar a month into something that they said was valuable. They were using up a lot of our time with emails, requesting us making videos, you know, talking to us online. But as soon as we charge a dollar, crickets, they disappear completely. That's the kind of person you want to avoid. That's a bad client. It looks good, but it's bad. And then you've got, you, you've got the people who are going to complain. People are going to give you bad reviews. Uh, anybody who's just basically going to be a negative experience for you. In coaching, it can be also the person who's really uncoachable. You know, they just, you try your best and it's like pulling teeth. You know, you have to beg and plead with them to take action. The best clients feel like a light touch, like it's almost embarrassing to get paid to coach them because they do so much with so little. Whereas the other person, you feel like you're not getting paid enough because it's just like, you know, getting dragged through barbed wire. And I think a similar thing would happen with wine sales. Is they're the person where you've got to talk to them for an hour and a half to sell them a single glass, right? That's a waste of time, right? Just because they're buying doesn't mean they're a good client. In fact, you've got to look at not just all your audience, but all your clients as a spectrum, right? So your whole audience, you've got that Pareto distribution, 80% of them aren't going to buy anything, and the 20% who do, they're also going to buy in an escalating curve. 
So there's going to be the people who buy a little bit occasionally through to the people who buy a lot often. And you want to really start focusing up that end of the graph, giving your time and attention to the people who give back to you the most, right? Taking it away from the people who only give you a little bit in return for the lot that you give them. This isn't about some sort of transactional relationship. It's like, if you don't buy something, then I'm not going to pay attention to you. But it is a little bit about respect. It's like, let's make sure that I'm always in a relationship with someone where it feels equal. Where it feels like we both benefit from this. Not anything that feels lopsided. If it feels lopsided, move on to somebody else. Now here's a great principle for sales that I got from a coach once. Hell yes versus no. It's not a uh, unique principle that's out there. Mark Manson's a big uh, advocate for this one. But the idea where you never let someone leave on a maybe. Okay, if you're in a sales call, if you want to call it that. You never let them leave to think about it, to get back to you, to check with the wife, anything like that. It's either a yes or a no. Now, this is a service both to you and to them. For a start, if someone really should, but they're on the fence, this helps push them. It helps them make make them realize, like, I've got to make a call here. Now's the time. Am I going to finally do that thing I promised myself I was going to do, or am I going to put it off yet again? You're putting them in that position. But you're also making sure for your own mental health that there are no maybes. That you never leave going like, would he have if I just said this or that or blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, did I just miss an opportunity? Or I wonder when he's going to get back to me. He said five days, but it's been five million years. Right? That kind of position is a horrible place to live in. Basically, you've got to treat maybes as a no. Here's the key here. Rather than trying to turn a maybe into a yes, you try to turn it into a no. And this is a non-needy approach. See, a sales guru, tactic, marketing, whatever the fuck, they'll try and get you to turn it into a yes. If someone's hesitant, try to make them say yes with all your various manipulations. Go the other way. If someone's hesitant, say, look, I can feel that you're not really into this. Right. So we're going to call it a no for now, but we can keep talking. Tell me what's holding you back. Is there something going on here that makes you uncomfortable? Because you can tell me about it. But for now, I'm taking the deal off the table. No pressure, no obligation. As far as I'm concerned, you're not going to be a client, and that's fine. But I can see you're not comfortable, and I don't want to end the call like that. So let's keep talking. I remember the first time I sort of tried this, because I, uh, in my history of coaching, I don't think I've ever had a maybe come back as a yes, ever. I've had a lot of people end a call with, like, I'll get back to you. I just need to check on this. I need to think about it. I've almost never had that turn into a yes. And after a lot of that happening, I realized, you know, there's a pattern here. Why do I keep letting this happen? So the next time it happened, after having a session with my coach, the guy was like that, I've got to check with the wife, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? I know where this goes. I've been here before. Let's call it a no. You're clearly not into this enough to say yes right now. And that's your criteria. If it's not, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. You're allowed to be scared, but you still got to be all in. Then we'll talk again when you are. But for now, it's a no. The guy called me back in three days, said he hadn't slept because that no had bothered him so much, and now he was a yes. And I realized I'd let a lot of people down by letting them leave with a maybe. I'd allowed them to continue a harmful pattern that they've been doing their whole life, where they deprive themselves of something because they just can't go all in, but they're allowed to escape with a maybe. The same would apply to wine sales. You know, I'm talking to someone, racking up the order, and they're like, ah, it's got to check with the wife, and so on and so forth. You know, basically, I'm going to come at them saying, look, you're clearly not ready to buy wine right now. I'm not here to pressure you into that. So we're going to call it a no. I'll delete this order. If you change your mind, you know how to get in touch with me, you know, and I'll send you a list of potential wines if you want. But let's move on because I'm not here to sell you something. I'm just here to serve you. And obviously, this isn't serving you. Words to that effect. I wouldn't have a script or anything. I'd be paying attention to the person, responding to them personally. But the idea being is... You're either in or you're out. And if you're not sure that you're in, then you're out. I'll do that for you if you're not going to do it for yourself. Just try it. If you don't think this method sounds like it's going to work, just try it. Okay? See how you feel after doing it when you've got no maybes left in your mind. Right? They're either a definite no or they change their mind and become a yes, which is rare, but it happens. Going, there's no one to follow, follow up with. I'm done with everybody. It's time to move on. It's such a good feeling. This one might apply just to coaching, this next one, but don't let money be a barrier. A lot of people in the coaching world, they advocate that you get all the money up front and that uh, 
you basically like you've got to focus on pressuring the person to making this big payment and saying you know this is your uh what do you call it your commitment this is how you show that you're really into it and this will make you show up to the coaching and they're quite happy to put someone in debt in order to get them into coaching and i was doing that for a while and i was like i just don't like this you know i don't think everybody who's saying i can't afford it is lying a lot of them are a lot of people say i can't afford it when they really say i don't want to but some people are like i just literally don't want to spend that much money right now i really value what you're doing but i don't want to get into debt to do it i've got enough fucking problems so i started relieving that by offering payment plans no discount just payment plan you pay it off i have so many people pay me off for coaching that's long since finished nearly every single one of them has paid off i got so many more yeses once i introduced this they're like now that was actually a barrier for me now it's not and they all pay it off they actually really appreciate that i'm going to adjust to their lifestyle rather than go hey you know that coaching budget you don't have yeah take that out of your like kids college fund right get a credit card with high interest rate just to get coaching no i wouldn't do that right so why would i expect them to do it don't know if that applies to wine exactly or depend you know on the company you work for and so on if you can uh, offer payment plans or whatever but the key idea being is like sometimes the person really would buy if the money thing wasn't such a tight issue for them right now make sure you know the difference between that and someone using money as an excuse to avoid being impolite and saying i just don't want to or i don't like you and it's a very simple question you're saying look if we could figure out a way to make the money thing easier for you would you be interested then or is this not really about the money right you can give them that out but you'd be amazed at how often the money is an actual issue that can be solved if you're willing to be brave see when i look at the other coaches in the coaching world who are like you got to charge up front what i hear is fear they're afraid they're not going to get their money they're afraid that the person's going to get the coach and go you know what that actually wasn't worth it i'm not going to pay and I challenge them to be bolder. See, I'm like, you know what? You might not pay me back. I'm not going to take you to court. Right? I, I, I even tell them that. There's no legal contracts or nothing. I'm like, here's the payment plan. Look, if you don't pay me, you know, we'll never work together again. But I'm not going to do anything about it. This is just a, an agreement. This is a handshake. This is our integrity speaking for us and nothing more. They always pay, except for one dude that I remember. They always pay right because i make sure that my coaching is worth it that they'd be embarrassed not to because it's so good if they don't pay because my coaching sucks then my coaching's the problem payment plans aren't the issue if your product or your service is high quality payment plans aren't going to be a problem unless you're giving it to the wrong people but you do your qualifying like we talked about earlier this problem goes away choose service over popularity Try to serve a few people rather than be popular with many. A lot of the top coaches I see out there, they're not very big on platforms. Kind of like me, they don't have huge followings. I don't have a lot of subscribers on YouTube or SoundCloud where I do my podcast. I don't have a lot of people following me on Facebook or whatever. But I get a lot of business out of that. And it's because it's very specific. I'm not trying to be some motivational guru that goes viral and everybody loves the message but they don't actually do anything with it because it's just horse shit i want to be someone where like a few people listen to it and they actually go and transform their lives based on what i've said right that they actually go and change their relationships and change their career and change the way they think and speak and everything real life shit not just oh that feels nice share it move on with being a dick if you really want to be really successful in this kind of business or in any business really you want a few people to love you even if everyone else hates you it's fine all right but if you try to be liked by everybody if you try to be generically popular you're going to have very low sales it's amazing how many people you'll see online look like they've got a big following and they're doing really well social media wise but actually their bank account is pretty dismal because while they're getting all the likes and all the shares and all the noise no one actually is that moved by their stuff because it's generic and this would apply to selling wine as well you can be like i'll provide any wine you want or you can be that person who's like i only specialize in champagne for champagne enthusiasts which means you're going to be loved by people who drink champagne everybody else is going to feel neglected by you that's fine 
absolutely fine. You're going to do better with that business model than the guy who's got all the wines, I think. I don't know. I'm not a wine guy. You generally find what you're looking for is this niche community that you create of enthusiasts that you serve very powerfully, even if it costs you the popularity or the love of other people. Whatever that means for your business, keep that in mind. Right, your, your clients will appreciate you being like that because you're going to be very specific, very practical, high service for exactly what they need, as opposed to like, yeah, it's nice, but nobody's going to use it. Rather than selling, ask and deliver. So rather than trying to get somebody to want what you've got, ask them what they want and cater to them. Right? So rather than go like, oh, sign up for my three-month coaching program, go like, what do you need from me? You need this, you need this, you need that. Okay, that looks like about maybe one session a week for a few months. We'll see how that plays out. Maybe we'll get together for a weekend and just do a big deep dive. Or maybe we can just have a call once every two weeks for 15 minutes. You figure out what will give them what they're asking for. And then you cater to that. You make a service or a product for that. Rather than calling someone up and go, hey, look, I've got this bottle of red wine that I think you'll love. You should buy it. Go like, what have you got coming up? Party? What do you need for the party? Yeah, okay, you need three whites, three reds, a bunch of champagne. I got you sorted. Let me call you back in 15 minutes. I'll put something together for you. That is how you serve people. Don't force them into something that they don't need. Deliver what they want. And when they tell you what they want, don't take their first answer for granted. Get in there deep. Go, why do you want that? What's the deeper goal that you're trying to achieve here? What's really important to you? And then offer something that matches that. Now this one's a little more controversial maybe. Have just one main thing that you do or sell. And everything else you do is just peripheral to that. So for me it's one-to-one coaching. That's my thing. I have courses, I have videos, I have podcasts, I have books, I have blog posts, I have Facebook groups. I've got all the shit. And all of that stuff, have it for free, really. All you got to do is get in touch with me. You can have any of it for free or highly discounted or something. Because all of that is nothing compared to my coaching, even though it's good. So my one main service is coaching. I always keep that in mind. Whenever I'm talking or interacting with someone, they can have all the other stuff they want. I'm not going to try and like make that difficult for them. Like, well, if you want three videos, I'll need, I'll need $15. No, no, have three videos. Fuck it, right? Have the book, right? If you don't want to buy it on Amazon, fine. Here's the PDF, whatever. Enjoy the book. Because the book leads to coaching. And the videos lead to coaching. The podcast and the course and everything leads to coaching. And I'm just interested in the people who want to do coaching. I mean, I'm not only interested in them, but I'm most interested in them. So ultimately, I'm not going to put up many barriers to the other stuff. And it would be the same if I was in the wine business, like... I might give away samples and all sorts of stuff that I could charge for, but why? I'll give them tickets to the tasting or whatever. Or I'll hang out with them and I'll, I'll pay for the wine when we have dinner. Because what I'm looking for is a guy who's going to buy a pallet of stuff from me every month. All right, that's the only guy I'm interested in, really. Okay, so I'm looking for that guy. When I find that guy, he can have all the other perks and bits and pieces for free. All right, I'll send him keychains and make him a necklace with a cork on it. I don't know what the fuck wine people do, right? He can have all of that stuff. I'm not going to make that difficult for him. It's the palate. That's that's my guy. So don't spread yourself too thin, trying to be everything, trying to sell everything, market everything, monetize everything. Have your main thing and everything else just points at it. And then you pay attention to the people who have all the free stuff and they go, what else you got? You go, well, let's talk about the paid stuff because that's the gold, right? And you focus on those people. When it comes to the actual sales part, the bit where you talk about them paying money for the thing, this needs to be done direct, shameless, bold, and patiently. Don't try to suspense them into it. It's like, well, before we talk about prices, did you know that you'll also get this and this and this and wank, wank, wank? And all that stuff that people do to try and like, Get you to a yes before they've even heard it. I have a lot of coaching associates or people I see online, you can't even find their prices. They want to make sure that you've had the coaching experience before they talk about prices because they're too scared that their prices will scare you off. I put my prices on my website. And when somebody wants to know about working with me, I'm like, here's how much it costs. 
And this is, this is what will happen. And then I go silent and I let them respond to that. I don't try to like preempt their objections. I don't try to get them to feel pressured to say yes or rush past this so they don't get to talk about it. I'm like, it's a big price. You want to talk about it? How do you feel? Are you nervous? I would be. And we have the conversation. We have the uncomfortable conversation that most salespeople just will not have of, I don't feel totally safe parting with this money. It's okay. You shouldn't. Who knows? I could be some scammy fuck. Let's talk about it. Why don't you feel safe? What would make you feel safe? Is there anything we can fix here or is this just broken and we can't do anything with it? Either way, no money's changing hands until we've talked about everything and you feel good about it. That's it. So be bold and shameless with that part of the conversation. Don't treat your prices like some dirty little secret that you want to try and whip past them so you can get to the bit where they've, you've got their money and nobody had to talk about it. Put it right out there. You know, someone's like, well, so how much is that? What's that, what's that Chardonnay that all the rappers drink and stuff? Dom Perignon, something like that. How much is it? And you're like, it's five grand a bottle. What do you think it was going to be? And like, oh my God, five grand. You're like, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's popular stuff. How do you feel about it? You know, just be like, yeah, but, you know, it's really, blah, blah, blah. You, you, should, you should think about this and this and this. It comes with this extra value and I'll throw in this bottle for it. Don't do any of that. Right? Just go, yeah, it's fucking, it's up there. This is the, this is the top notch shit. How do you feel? And get into it. Talk it through. Because in this style of sales, we don't want the person who makes the purchase and then regrets it. Because that's not a long-term relationship. We want the person that by the time they make the sale, there's no chance of regret. And they're probably going to come back for more. Because you've made the sale catered to them, their needs, their limitations, everything. You don't try to push them past that. My top clients, and the ones who have spent the most money with me, they didn't spend it all at once. They've come in and out as repeat clients. They have this long-term lifetime value, it's called. They're the best ones. Now, if I asked them for that amount of money up front the first time we met, they all would have said no, probably. It's too much for the little that they knew about me. As the value got fed out with our relationship over time, they got more and more comfortable spending more and more. At no point have they gone like, I can't spend that much. Because I never push. If anyone listening to this has feel that I've pushed, please get in touch and let me know. Because I did it by mistake. So, make sure that everything's up front. You're not trying to corner them into a sale. They've always got an escape route. And if they aren't totally comfortable, you put the brakes on. If they're like, ah, oh, yeah, alright, yeah, charge it up. Be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not hearing a lot of enthusiasm there. I don't want to take your money in these kind of circumstances. What's what's going on? Right, you're the one who says no or stop or let's slow down. Don't wait for them to do it. And don't hope that they won't. Take as long as you need because it pays off in the long term anyway. Last principle generally is Don't do anything that you would be uncomfortable being on the other end of. You've been sold stuff before. Ask yourself, what don't I like? What do I like? And repeat that. It's as simple as that. Okay, be the salesman you wish to get when you're buying something. I remember when I first noticed this, I had a person sign me up for coaching. I'd had a few coaches before that, or a couple of coaches before that. I had this one guy, as soon as I started talking to him, I was just like, fuck, he's laid back. Like every other time I talk to a coach for the first time, I'm just in the back of my mind thinking like, oh, when's the sales pitch coming? What's it going to be like? It's actually distracting. I can't even tell how valuable they really are because I'm worried about that happening. Whereas this guy started the conversation very similar to how I do when I'm meeting a new person for the first time. Where he's like, look, this might be the last time we talk and that's fine. There's going to be no sales talk or nothing today. We're not going to talk about working together or paying for anything. Let's just have a coaching session and see what happens. And straight away I was just like, oh, that's nice. And my first thought was like, I'm going to do that. That feels great. I like that a lot. And I've been doing it ever since. Words to that effect anyway. So if you can just take that, like whatever you don't like, take that out of what you do. Don't do anything that you'd hate to receive. Okay, this is for you as well. It's not just to help with your sales, but so that you can go home at night and not look in the mirror and go, ah, you piece of shit, you sleazy bastard. Don't do anything that feels like you're compromising, right? Because you don't need to. You really don't, okay? 
And when somebody does sell you something and you liked that process, ask yourself why. What did I like about that? What did I like about them and the way they did it? Right? Especially if you don't regret that purchase a year on. Like it really is no buyer's remorse. Try to learn from that experience and bring that into your own business. I'm going to finish up, summarize with how I do things exactly. Okay, so this will only be really applicable to coaching and coaching-like services, but maybe the, the, the principles will become clear for other businesses as well. But here's what I do. I pump out content like this. That's first and foremost. That's the background. Videos, podcasts, little rants on Facebook, whatever it is, I'm constantly pumping out stuff in general to help my specific niche audience. All right, my nice guys, my people pleasers, the people who want to be more honest, right? It's not everyone in the world. It's not even a majority. It's just a small little niche of people pleasers who want to be authentic, okay? And I just make stuff specifically for them. It's questions directly from my audience, questions that came up in my client sessions, questions that were a big deal in my own life because I'm one of them. And I make very specific, helpful, practical content and I hold nothing back. I don't hide any like, if you want to find out the third technique, you've got to come and join my course. It's like, no, here's the third technique. These are all my techniques. That's it. i got nothing left in the tank. High-level service. Remember, it's not coaching, so it doesn't matter. I get it all out there, right? There's no content that's better than my coaching, right? So I can pump out as much content as I want, safe in the knowledge that it's not going to be a substitute for my coaching. And I'm building up a library of content here. Something where, like, I've had a few people say, fuck, man, every time I ask you a question, you send me a link. And that's what I want. I want to have a specific answer for every kind of question I get in a piece of content. I want this library. I'm not doing this for the likes or the subscribers or anything. I'm doing it for the library. So when my clients go, I've got a specific need, I'm like, I've already got a specific podcast. There it is. Boom. I don't have to make something new for them, right? I can serve with high efficiency. Make one piece of content once, serve a thousand people with it. When someone shows interest, I escalate quickly. I know that coaching them is the best thing I can do for them. So as soon as I get an email from someone who's interested or they found a video helpful or they got a question for me, straight away I'm thinking, let's jump on a call. Now that call is freely given. They don't pay for it. It doesn't have a sales pitch at the end. I don't even ask them afterwards if they want to keep working together. Nothing. I just coach the shit out of them. And then if they want to talk to me again, they'll get in touch. And that's something I explain to them as well. I coach them as if they're already paying to work with me. There's no difference really between the first coaching session you'll get from me for free and other coaching. Except in the first session I have to get to know you a bit. That's about it. But the, the, the value I deliver, I don't hold anything back. I coach you like you paid me 20 grand for this session. I coach everybody like that all the time. So I do that. And... There's no pitch, no obligation, no pressure. If they get in touch with me, if they're responsive after that, if they enjoyed it, if they did the homework, if it worked for them, if their wife likes them more now and their job's going well or whatever happened, then I suggest we talk again and this time we talk about continuing coaching together. And that's where we go into the bit like, what do you want from me? How can I help you? And I give them options that they can pay for. That would help them, and I'm very bold and honest and upfront about how much those options cost and how to pay for them and everything like that. That's pretty much how it works. It's a very simple system. I do it with everybody, and at no point do I have to use any tactics. At no point do I have to try and make someone a client or nothing. I'm just serving people nonstop. Now, this is at a point in my career now where people come to me, and I don't need to reach out to people cold. But prior to this, there was just an extra step where I'd make a piece of content and then I'd find someone. Uh, actually, it's the other way around. I'd find someone, see that they had a need or a potential interest. I'd make a piece of content just for them and send it to them as a surprise gift. And that's how I'd reach out to people cold. So they'd get this message of like a video for me. Bullshit. They'd really say, hi, Kevin. Like, holy fuck, it really is for me. I'd say, hey, I was just... Uh, you know, I was reading through your Facebook thing and I saw you had a question about like being honest in a relationship and I thought I'd answer that question and here it is. This dude's like, holy shit, he just made me a video. And then at the end I'm like, hey, if you liked it, get in touch. And that's how I'd reach out to new people. But I don't do that anymore because I don't need to. Most of my clients are repeat clients or people from my audience coming to me. So I'm lucky, but I had to build up to that. It took like five years to get there. Oh, one final thing. 
at the end, when they say yes, I double check. I got that from Rich Litvin, the coach. So I slow down a yes, just to make sure it's not like overexcited hype, and they are actually into it. So if someone's like, sign me up, I'm like, are you sure? Is there anything that's going to get in the way? Is there any doubts in your mind that we need to talk about first? So I want to make sure that someone doesn't go, yes, hang out the phone, go, fuck, I regret that. Now I've got to hide from Dan. I want to make sure that, like, I don't need to worry whether or not the money's going to come into my account. This guy's definitely in. And then we just get into it. Hope that was helpful. There's probably more. I couldn't think of everything because I've just moved halfway across the world and I'm knackered. But hopefully that's enough for you to start authenticating your sales style and do something that's more enjoyable and, in my opinion, more effective, especially for the long-term game. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity.